remember, I remember when I lost my mind. There was something so pleasant about that place. And good morning, everybody.
You know, absolutely from a basketball standpoint, as my calculus professor said in our first class yesterday, when someone asked if classes are optional, he, he's like, everything's optional. Just some things have more consequences than others. And Kyrie was willing to take the consequences of not vaccinating himself against COVID. And this is what he has to pay for it, right? You yeah. knew what you knew what was at stake either way. You made your decision. You got to live with it. And I think for the Nets, right, I, as someone who's had knee injuries before, those take a while to come back from, depending on what the injuries are. Like we saw Clay Thompson get another injury, Boogie Cousins. I'm just talking straight kinetic chain here. Obviously, an ACL and MCL are completely different in terms of how much structural load they handle in the knee. But and Kevin Durant might take a couple more weeks from that four to six weeks four to six week timeline to be fully back to 100%. Even then, it might be another month or two. Beyond right, that, even exactly. longer. Right, especially the Nets at some point in the season are like close to locking up a playoff spot or something along those lines. Maybe the Nets will choose to rest them the rest of the season. It's the same for the playoffs. I don't, you never know. Yeah, but as we've mentioned, they're short on depth because of the star talent, and they're going to need him to play at least as many games as possible to make that happen. All right, let's talk about... Sorry if I may interrupt. I also think it could possibly cost him an MVP award because the MVP race is very tight, and if he's going to be out longer than you think he's going to be, there's a chance he may not... And he's been playing some of the best basketball of his career this season. He is leading the league in scoring again, and he has been an absolute tear this season. But nonetheless, I mean, it cost him... Like a, just by the sheer amount of games he may miss, and they cost him MVP, which is kind of sad, given the given the season he's had. You know, for someone who's missed to 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 make an MVP run a season where they missed time, right? We've talked about Mike Trout in baseball, the amount of seasons yeah. where he's had better than the ones he's won MVP awards, where he's missed fifty games, right? I think it was twenty nineteen that he yeah. missed forty eight games with a thumb injury, and still finished fourth in MVP voting. But he was the even, but that wasn't significant enough. You have to play that much. I might be off in the year, but. It was in the late part of the last decade. You have to be that much better than ever, especially in a tight race, right? This isn't the MLB where you have two MVPs. You only got one MVP for the third teams. Giannis, Nikola Jokic, DeMar DeRozan, Steph Curry, all in the mix there with Kevin Durant. If he's missing this much amount of time of the season, he's going to have to play so much better down the stretch than the rest of them to even have a shot to finish top three, right. get alone top five. All right, Sam, yeah, well, let's, get into our, let's get into our next net of the day. Uh, obviously, we talked about Kyrie and KD, but let's talk more about James Harden now. Harden, supposedly, according to Mark Stein, is open to a relocation. Sam, what do you think about this? Do you think he would actually pursue a trade? Do you think he'd force his way out of Brooklyn? And realistically, what type of trade would have to happen? Who would have to come back to them to make that happen? Okay. I don't think James Harden is in Brooklyn anytime soon. Maybe as a free agent, if he doesn't like the situation. If the Nets don't win a title, maybe he can find for greener pastures, but nonetheless, you're trading James Harden, who is a top five talent in the NBA. Better be damn sure you're getting back either a Ben Simmons or a Damian Lillard, or if you don't do that trade. Or at least three first rounders, if you are not do that trade. I mean, the Nets gave up a King's ransom to get him, and he still produced when he's been healthy and when he's gotten the full workload. It's just, uh, again, it's, it's sad. This Nets team, it's just you haven't been able to see them all together consistently because they've all been hurt throughout the season got the playoffs, which is kind of sad because as Battle fans, you're excited to see the uh, three potential top ten talents go at it in the same roster. So, I don't think Harden is winning the Nets anytime soon. Definitely not this season when they need him most. Unless the Nets maybe are able to get like a Benson for Damian Lillard, they may consider it, but I doubt that'll happen. I don't think a year after that he's going to make that decision, saying he's boys with Kevin Durant and was on, bo- yeah. on board with Harry Irving. I think it'd be very difficult for them to do that. Also, 
right? We, we're going to talk about Ben Simmons and Daryl, the Sixers more. And the reason why he'd be attracted to Philadelphia, his former GM who brought him in there in Houston, Daryl Moore, is now running basketball operations there. And I think that's definitely someone who we want to be linked with. But I just can't see the Nets getting a return on that investment anywhere near what they've invested in him so far. Also, trades like that are very difficult to facilitate during the season, especially with the salary cap, right? You can't tra- – trading a 40-something million dollar player a year means you have to get that much salary or close to it back. And there aren't many teams that can meet that level of talent in terms of either players, picks, or salary. So to make that trade, there are only a handful of contracts that can really be moved. Right. Even then, like, what a Russell Westbrook move – like, I'm just trying to think salary-wise. Like, if it can't be Ben Simmons and the Sixers, even Tobias Harris – is part of the package record, not taking on $80 million. So the rumors, the rumors of the Sixers have been maybe willing to part with both of them in one deal, which is, I think, absurd. I don't know how they're getting that to work. They're just financially. Sorry. All right, Sam. Now let's move to another, right? We talked about New York basketball a bit. We'll get to the Knicks a bit later. We haven't talked about the Clippers yet, but let's go to the Lakers for a second, right? Currently sitting as the eight seed in the Western Conference, spot on 500 in the play-in right now. That team has not been meeting expectations with LeBron, Anthony Davis, and LeBron also Westbrook this offseason, trading Kuzma, among others, to the Wizards to make that work. What do you think is going to happen with Frank Vogel on that team? So, Sam? I don't know how much you've been following. Frank Vogel team is absolutely boiling. He's being evaluated. There was a report last night that came out. He's being evaluated on a game-to-game basis. He has a very short leash. And, and Frank Vogel's teams are usually good defensive teams. Bottom are like a middle-of-the-pack defensive team when they're so used to being like top 10, top 5 in defense. And part of that is due to the lack of not having Anthony Davis for a lot of the season. That's definitely been hurting. But the Lakers in general are just... Well, I, like, Frank Vogel's rotations that never made sense to me. Yeah, I thought Malik Bung should have been a starter beginning of the season. And then you finally put him in a starter. He's been producing... And they are really just trying too hard. And they've been dis- everything that could go wrong is going wrong for them. I don't see them making a big run. It's the only way for Frank Vogel to save his job at this point if, if the Lakers win the championship. If that doesn't happen, I think Frank Vogel is going to get fired this season. And the question is, is will you go forward? Like, how do you coach? Like, who's going to coach this team? This team is filled with a lot of high personality veterans. And a lot of frustrated rookies like Taylor Horn Tucker has not been having the ideal season. I mean, the team is really not that young. I think the young, youngest player on the team, I believe, is Austin Reeves. And and the thing is, the Lakers don't really have a clear direction. They don't have people to trade. They don't have assets. And they're pretty strong for cap, given they're paying LeBron, AD, and $40 million to Russell Westbrook. So the Lakers are in a very weird situation. Unless LeBron, we've seen the look. We see LeBron completely flip the switch and tear apart the entire league. I think he's still capable of doing that. He has shown signs of mortality this season, given his few injuries. I think the Lakers should still be making a deep run. But I think Frank Vogel is in dire straits. You know what, Sam? That's a really good analysis, right? We know as much as Rob Polinka is the acting GM there. We know who really runs personnel on that team. As every team he's ever been on, it's LeBron James. And if LeBron wants him there, he'll be there. If LeBron wants him gone, he'll be gone. I just don't like the evaluating a coach on a game to game basis. Like if you're already at that point, then you should have either you should have pulled the plug already. 
Yeah. Right? Like, you shouldn't have to be having a game-to-game basis analysis of a head coach. If it's that dire, like, that guy, you, if you have that much doubt in the person who's running your team and leading your team, that person shouldn't be in charge, right? Give another example here from another sport. Dominican Winter League Baseball. Managers have, like, a five-game leash. Five-game leash, you get fired. No other sport in this, but that's also a 30-game, 40-game season with a two-month span. This is an 82-game NBA season. If you're that dire about someone, they really shouldn't be running your team. But right. I don't think he's getting fired until we see LeBron want that. And frankly, all the options we thought would come in, right? We thought Ty Lue would have been the head coach there. That didn't happen. Jason Kidd, another person. It should be interesting to see who LeBron would bring in next. And Mitch, if I may, right now the Lakers get a 27 in points in points again. And I'm looking, and we look at the, at the Lakers fast, there's one interesting coach who stands up to me, David Fisdale. He's had head coaching experience with both the Grizzlies and the Knicks. The Knicks tended to go too well, but he was very well respected. He's a widely respected coach at all levels. I wouldn't, I don't think it'll happen, but it wouldn't surprise me that as the Lakers decide to move from Ben Vogel, that they promote Steven Fisdale to head coach. He embodies a, his gritting grind style is very embodies what the Lakers will try to do with defense, and it can really reinvigorate this Lakers team. So I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think people should like look up the gap for that. You know, I think that's a good assessment of it, right? I love Fizz when he was in New York. Unfortunately, the Knicks were very dysfunctional at that point, and it didn't work out. But that wasn't fully on him. He did, and again, the Grizzly situation also dysfunctional ownership. And I think he does deserve another shot. And we have enough situations where people are like, "You get one and done." I don't like that. I think people who have proven they've been good coaches, and I think he can lead, will deserve another shot. But we shall see. All right, Sam. Time to move on to our next topic. We are going to play another. We're going to play a game now called. Buyers or sellers, we're talking... Poker terms, baby. Buyers or sellers, we're talking pretenders and contenders. We have a couple teams here. We're not going to go through the whole NBA, even though we could do that, right? Any team that's currently sitting in the bottom five of a conference is likely going to sell. Those sitting at the top will likely buy. Sam, is. I'm going to ask Sam about teams, and he's going to throw out how, on a, basically on a scale from 1 to 10, are they fully in? Are they retooling? Are they buying and selling? Are they selling off rental pieces, or are they selling the house and having a fire sale? Okay. All right, Sam, let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks, currently sitting at fifth in the Eastern Conference, two games back of the conference lead. So my, so my scale is based on whether I think they're contenders or pretenders. I am all in the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm pushing my chips at the beginning of the table. I am high in the Milwaukee Bucks this season. They are still so they are the reigning champions. They should not be taken lightly. Giannis is playing MVP-level basketball. Middleton and Holly are still elite second and third options. And they have a lot of good depth. Bobby Portis has been a double-digit scorer in the absence of Brooke Lopez. And we don't know when he's been Lopez out for the rest of the season, but he's been filled in amazingly. Even Chenzo and Grinton Allen have been great compliments off the bench. This team is scary. I can see them make a deep run. I will not be surprised they're hosting the Bill, the Larry Bryan Trophy in the end of the season. Who do you think is a potential trade target for the Bucks? You said I don't Robin, you said you listen to trading even with Lopez out. You don't think they're going to go to the center? Maybe they flipped maybe Steven Chetzel and a pick for some depth at the center position. They just made a trade saying Bryn Forms. Well, their best shooters Bryn Forms away. So we'll see about that. I don't see them making a move. All right, we've talked about this team a lot. What about the Brooklyn Nets? What do you think yeah. they do? I'm checking on the Brooklyn Nets. I need, I need to see more from them as contenders. As contenders, I need to see more from them. I was an issue. I don't think they're going to make any moves because they don't have access to trade. But I, I, I can't 
say either I'm holding on the Nets or going all in on the Nets because I still have some concerns, but yet I still see what their upside could be. So I'm going to check on the Nets. All right, now let's go to another team we just talked about, Los Angeles Lakers. Are they contender or pretender, and what do you see them doing at the deadline? Fold. I'm folding on the Lakers. They're an absolute mess. They have no tradable assets. I said this. We have, they have no tradable assets. Nobody wants Russell Westbrook in his contract. Kalen Horton Tucker has been atrocious this season. The Lakers just have nothing. They're stuck with this team unless someone pulls the trigger on Westbrook, unless they pull off something crazy. I don't see it happening. I think the Lakers are just going to have to ride this one out. You know, I think I don't think they're fully a pretender yet. I just, as you said, the only thing they can really trade right now is Russell Westbrook, and Kalen Horton Tucker hasn't been playing well enough where they get value for him. I just think they might be right up, but again, we've seen LeBron and his front office personnel pull off crazier. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see. I'm not told. All right, Sam, now let's talk about another team we've both been very high on this year. The current top seed in the Eastern Conference is the Chicago Bulls. So this is going to come to a surprise. I'm going to check on the Bulls. People thought I'm all in, but I have my concerns. I mean, the Bulls got absolutely blown out by the Nets last week, and then absolutely got destroyed by the Grizzlies. And I think it's because health will obviously be an issue if they're all healthy. I think they have a chance. Caruso's been out. They clearly miss him. Ball has missed a few games. And Levine's still out. But one guy I want to see step up, I think I'll be sold on the Bulls if Nikola Vucevic really stepped up. We know Levine is the role that's going to produce. Vucevic has lacked a lot of defensive consistency. He's allowed a lot of easy points inside. I need to see more from him to be sold on the Chicago team to make a deep run. He is going to be the X factor. You know, for them to make a deep run, it'd be interesting. They're definitely looking, trending right now in the top of the conference. Will likely be a top six seed in the East. Likely even be a top four, top three seed and wind up getting a home series. Just I think they're going to finish top seed. It's in the playoffs. I'm a little concerned about them. Yeah. And again, also, I'd like to point out that two of their big acquisitions this offseason – well, obviously, put Caruso aside coming off a title, coming off a title two years back. Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan were both traded away from teams the year before they went on a championship run. Obviously, bigger deals involved there. Right. DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard and Lonzo being traded in the Anthony Davis deal. But do you think that says something about what, what their characters are and whether or not they could play in the playoffs? Right. We've seen the Raptors falter. With DeRozan, we haven't really seen Lonzo do much in the playoffs at all. Do, no, that's, is that, that's, does that concern you down the road? So that's been the biggest critique of DeRozan's career. I want to talk about DeRozan specifically. We haven't really seen Lonzo in the playoffs, so I can't make a fair assessment there. But Lonzo definitely has matured as the years have gone on. DeRozan, I think, has really elevated his game. But, again, with his game, with the last time he made the playoffs with the Spurs, he had his most efficient playoff yet. And you almost let the first to an upset over the Nuggets. And went over two seven upsets. So I think he's slowly developing into that. But I think that thing with the Rosen now, if he was on the Raptors, he didn't have as good of a supporting cast. Now it was just him and Kyle Lowry. He's obviously one of the number one options, but the Bulls have a lot more depth. So I think the Rosen will perform better in the playoffs, but that is I think what happened is yet to be seen. We'll have to wait and see. All right. Uh what about the team we've lo- I- I've enjoyed watching these past couple of years with all the offense they've done? Golden State Warriors. Take all my money. Currently second seed in the West. I am as first point point game since the I'm sorry. Sorry to cut out. Um I'm pushing all my chips to the beginning of the day, but I am all in on the Warriors. I have been going very deep playoff run. Would not be surprised if they're hosting a Larry Ryan trophy. But nonetheless, like, 
Curry, Curry, Reno's gonna do stuff. They're so deep, and a guy I think people need to look out for, rookie Jonathan Kaminga, has been incredible these last few games. They're giving him a very strong role. Average over 15.6 rebounds and a few assists. He is scary. The Warriors are scary. Not only with the teams like Thompson is starting to come into form, people should be scared. But nonetheless, what scares me most is that the Warriors have assets to play with. They're in the best position to make a deal for a star with draft capital, young talent, and current people on the roster. I don't think they will make a move, but they, I think, are in the best position out of any team to make a move for a star if they need to. They saw Andrew Wiggins' contract to match with anyone who wants to trade for someone big. Not that they're good. Oh, no, let's just say, hypothetically, if I'm putting on my GM hat right now and I'm playing Bob Myers, do I send James Wiseman, Andrew Wiggins, and a pick or two to the Philadelphia 76ers for Ben Simmons? I don't think that happens. I don't think that happens. Or the Carl Anthony Towns? Yeah. Either one could send Wiggins back to the Timberwolves. All right. Uh, let's move on to our next team, current top seed in the West and the NBA overall. Phoenix Suns, how far do you think they run to go this year, and who do they look at? I am in on the Phoenix Suns. I wouldn't say all in, but right now the Bucks and the Warriors are my two favorites, but I am definitely in. On, I would bet on the Phoenix Suns and making a deep run. They are, I think, the only team that really match up with the Warriors well in terms of defensive matchups, in terms of playing style. I love Monty Williams. He's a great coach, and he's very... Smart respects his players. Devin Booker has been playing some of the best basketball of his career. Chris Paul is still getting it done at year 38. He's an, he's an absolute monster. And what I want to see more from, I, I need to see more from DeAndre Aiden. He, in the playoffs last year, he was the reason they kept going finals and in the Western Conference finals. He was the X factor for them. If he can be that guy, I think they have a chance at upsetting Golden State. All right. And we've ta- I've loved this team for a lot of years. Miami Heat, currently tied for the top team in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, we think we're in on them, right? I'm in on I'm them. I'm in on Miami. I wouldn't be surprised if they swing a deal at the deadline because they have a lot of assets to play with. But Sam Adebayo is expected back this week. And they've been playing great basketball without him. Jimmy Butler still getting it done. Kyle Lowry has been an absolute sensational addition. And one thing I love the Heat the most is their experience in coaching. I trust Eric Spolstra. He's led the Heat. He has been with the Heat for so long and has done such an incredible job, that playoff, that experience that he has, I think will be two wonders for them. We've seen it. We've seen it come out in the run in the bubble. I really, I like the Heat. I wouldn't be surprised if we see them in the finals. This is great. All right. We got a couple more teams left. Let's do rapid round here. Uh, Utah Jazz, Sam. Utah Jazz, in. I think this Utah team is very different than previous Utah teams. Like, obviously, everyone's going to roast them. They're always going to, like, they play so well just to get out in the first round. However, I think Utah is going to make a move at the deadline. I think Joe Ingles is going to be on the market. I think they swing it for an upgrade at the at the perimeter. They swing maybe for a Jeremy Grant. I would not. I would like that for them to get some upgrade on the perimeter defense. And they can keep Royce O'Neal. Because the perimeter defense is what hurt them in the playoffs. But if they upgraded that... I think the Jazz are going to make a deep run there. Surprisingly, the top offense in the NBA, I think the Utah Jazz are a team to be feared. All right, and now we got a couple more. Uh, one last team. Let's go for the two last teams in the East we have to talk about. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers. We've mentioned Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris being on the mood. What do you think actually happens here? Check. I check on the Sixers. There's a lot. There's so much uncertainty surrounding this team. Tobias Harris having one of the worst seasons as a Sixer. He has just been... I mean, his value is Stanley Tang. They're looking to move him. 
I don't know what the Sixers do. I don't think Ben Simmons will be traded at the deadline. I think it may take a bit more. I guess he's traded in the offseason. And also, I'm going to feel like I'm pushing the car. I can't trust our servers in the playoffs. It's just something I can't do. I'm dwelling me playing like an MVP. But there's so much uncertainty surrounding this team that I don't know what to do with them. I'm not going to count them out because Embiid is incredible. And they're going to make the playoffs. But the, um, how far they go is going to depend on Tobias Harris and what they do with the deadline. All right, what about the Cleveland Cavaliers? We've talked a lot about them this season. So I'm going to check on the Cleveland Cavaliers. I like them. I think they can surprise a bunch of teams in the playoffs. And I think they also are a team that can make a move, get some upgrades. Their best wing defender, Isaac Okoro, is out. And Ricky Rubio is done for the season. Darius Garland's playing like an all-star. And Sexton is still out. I can see the Cavs winning a move for another wing. Like, they, I think they could be an Jeremy Grant sweepstakes. I think that would be amazing. But the Cavs right now are in a very good spot. I can see them, like, surprising a few teams in the playoffs, maybe getting an upset in the first round. But I am, again, I still have a little concern about where how they're going to play in the perimeter. The health of Colin Sexton still concerns me. But nonetheless, I like this Cleveland team. I think they can make some noise in the first round, but I'm going to check on them being big and deep run. All right, and now t- the two teams currently five and six. A little bit disappointing this year for two teams that have had such promising young stars in recent years. The Dallas Mavericks and then the Denver Nuggets. What do you think about both these teams? Fold on the map. I'm sorry. Late. I'm I'm disappointed in the map. I expected a lot more from them. I am one of the biggest Luka fans ever. I see with my MVP beginning of the season. Jason Kidd has very done a less than superb job. I think they need to make a move, and they need to find a way to keep Dylan Brunson. He is the one thing that's been keeping them afloat. He's been playing some incredible basketball, and the health of Chris Porzingis is still a concern. When he's on the, like, <laughs> as a Knicks fan, I must, I, I don't know what to make. It's like it's, it's playing those best years of the Knicks have just passed him by, and it's sad because he's such a good talent. And when he's on the floor, he makes an impact. So. I, I'm going to fold on the Mavs. You can't trust Chris Tapps' health. All right, what about the Denver Nuggets? Fold. I love the Nuggets, but Nikola Jokic can't necessarily carry the team himself. And they just traded some depth with C.J. Dozier. They traded C.J. Dozier away. He's a good depth piece. And when Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are coming back, is definitely going to be a concern. I, like, I love Denver. I'm a huge Jokic fan, but... Unless they come back, I don't see them making a deep run. All right. And that concludes our uh, segment on pretenders and contenders. Now, Sam, our first time ever, we're talking college hoops on the Highland Talk. And if I may interrupt, I want to talk about it. I want to make a disclaimer. Memphis Grizzlies people are the, one of three teams with 30 wins. I'm putting on, I just want to put that in. I'm on the Memphis Grizzlies. All I'm going to say. John Morant might, will finish top three MVP. You heard that here first, but you know. All right, now to NCAA hoops. Right, normally at this time of year, we have a clear one, top one to five, who's going to dominate, who's going to be the one seed, who's likely a Final Four appearance. Sam, this year, that's happened. that hasn't happened. We've had so many upsets in the past couple of weeks, right? We, we talked about Duke losing the FSU last night. The Baylor Bears have lost two this weekend to unranked teams. And same with Gonzaga, also two losses. What do you make of this? I am hyped about this. This is the most wide-open March Madness we have seen in a while. I love the fact that there's no clear favorite. Does you know what that means? That means March is going to be crazy, and I love it. So, I'm not... I There's just been so many teams. Right now, the number one ranked team, the coordinating cast. Yes, Mitch. 
Auburn Tigers. And not something people expect at the beginning of the season. I mean, champion Baylor has disappointed in a few games. Michigan, a predicted Final Four team, has been terrible in the Big Ten this year. And they've just completely fallen. They've just completely fallen off. And it is yet to be seen whether Wilson's going to pull through. I think the Zags will eventually finish at the top seed. But nonetheless, it's been kind of fun to watch the chaos of it all. I love it. And it's just all these teams just falling. Michigan right now is 2-3 and three in conference behind Rutgers, Indiana, Iowa, Penn State. That is not something we expected from, the, from a Juan Howard team. And who would have thunk it that the Wisconsin Badgers would be the number one team in the Big Ten at the beginning of the season? And it is great. It just, I am just, I I'm going to lose it in March. I am just so excited to see what March is going to bring. But I think this is the most wide-open tournament we've seen in a long time. Also, want to point out, top Purdue was a top seed. They have also dropped. USC was a top seed. They dropped. Like, nobody is safe. Like, hide your children, hide your kids. No one is safe. Yeah, no one's safe. And for all the Big Ten teams, good luck at the Scataway. That's all i got to say. Ron Harper Jr., you know how it is. Geo Baker. Charlotte Knight's currently sitting ahead of Michigan in the Big Ten. All i got to say. Love to see it. <laughs> We're in two in conference play. You know what, Sam? I just can't. It's been crazy, right, with all the COVID cancellations we've seen in past years, tournament cancellations in 2020. We got so much coming in. Mark, you're right. March is going to be crazy. Hopefully, we'll see some clarity within the the Power Six conferences. Obviously, the Big East still being relevant for basketball, but not for anything else. But we should (laughs) see how this plays out. And I think we're going to see a lot of chaos. We've already seen a handful of number one seeds. We're going to keep seeing more number one seeds. We've mentioned Purdue and Baylor falling off. Auburn now sitting at number one. We shall see how that turns out. And now to our next segment. Sam, the lovely analyst that he is, has come up with a mock draft so far this season for the NBA. Obviously, these are off odds on Tankathon for the pick order. We have Sam's top ten picks and why. Sam, why don't you start off with who your first pick is? Going to Orlando Magic at one. And two days on this mock draft. I am so hyped to bring it to you. My number one overall pick goes to the Orlando Magic. Thanks again to Take Them On for providing the stats. Will be Jabari Smith, the power forward from Auburn. Mitch, I don't know how much you followed. This kid has all the makings of a modern NBA big. NBA power forward. Currently averaging 16 points, 16 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 block, 1 assist. While also shooting 42% from 3. He's so versatile on both ends of the floor. And he's such a complete basketball player. He can handle the ball, shoot the rod, rebound, defend. He's such a good athlete. And he was so well for his size. He is a dude. But he isn't the quickest person. He isn't able to beat you off a of first step. He has the burst to stay in front of wings and guard multiple positions. That is key, especially in this day and age. His Brazilian defensive end is just scary. He also has an assist to turnover ratio of one, meaning that he's so efficient with the ball in his hands. He doesn't make any really impulsive turnover. I think he's the best player in college basketball right now, which is why the Auburn Tigers are sitting at number one in the ranking. He is a scary player. And if the Magic do end up picking him, which I think they will, think of the core, Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner, and Cole Anthony, I'd be scared. The Magic would have something good going. 
Yeah, and they've got all young controllable talent, which is always a plus, so you're not paying anyone. And if you can get good while they're young, you can keep them on extensions. And obviously your cap situation is better that way. But definitely modern big, defending all five, 42% from three. That's what you want in today's NBA. All right, Sam, who you got going to the Detroit Pistons at number two? With the second take in the NBA draft, the Detroit Pistons select Chad Holmgren, center freshman from Gonzaga. Chad Holmgren, I think, is one of the more polarizing talents in college basketball, but his upside is sort of special on the defensive end. He's seventh in the nation with 3.3 blocks per game. He blocks everything in place. And Dwayne Casey loves, is a hard-nosed defensive guy. He, lo- he loves a guy like Chad Holmgren who can bang inside and can really just command the paint. He's one of the best interior defenders in the draft. Currently, 13 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, 3 blocks, 5 steals. He is a guy that can fill up the stat sheet. And he's a 7 point, he's a 7 foot point guard. He can handle the ball like the best of them. He shoots 39% from 3. And he does the stat sheet. He can score in any way. His versatility on the, on the offensive side of the ball will help the Pistons team. That was 29th in total offense and 3 point shooting and interior defense. And those are just three things that Chad Holmgren does the best. And I want to point out, him and Kate Cunningham, that's a scary duo to build their team around. Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention, they're like, as I mentioned earlier, likely trading Jeremy Grant, so they're going to get some assets back from that. And then if they could put that in other areas, they could be building a young core there for Dwayne Casey, built, fitting that Detroit vibe and what Dwayne Casey stands for in the NBA. All right, Sam, who do you got going to the Rockets at number three? With the third pick of the NBA draft, the Houston Powell, Rockets like Paolo Banchero, power forward from Duke. Paolo Banchero is a physical freak. 6'10", 250. I think he has the most upside as a scorer in this draft. His ability to run the break, primary ball handler, and off the ball and catching lobs, he is, it's scary. And a Rockets offense that was first in pace and play in the NBA, they want to get out quick, they want to run the break, get out in transition. Banchero fits that that mold very well. His defensive upside with his frame is something that needs to be a little molded, but the upside of that is scary. But also, what I want to put out about Vincero is how balanced and versatile of a scorer that he is. I saw this stat yesterday. Shout out to Hoop and Elect for giving me the stat. 20% of his shots come from post-ups. 16.3% of his shots come from spot-ups. Transition points, 14%. ISO, 14.1%. Cutting, 10%. You can roll. Roll, high red ball handler. So he can score in a variety of ways. And his three point shot is something that needs to be molded, but that's something I think that will come. He's showing at times that he can shoot the three, but the consistency is something that'll need to be worked on. He reminds me a lot of DeMar DeRozan in terms of how he can, in terms of versatility from in front of the basket and scoring. But he is, I, has the most scoring up. I, I love him. He is a Currently at 17.9 points, 7.4 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 0.9 points, and 1.3 steals. So his patience on the defensive end will be great in helping the Rockets get out of transition and play Rocket basketball, what we've seen over the previous years. You know, Sam, on the court, I think it's a good fit. Off the court, I'm a bit concerned, right? The whole James Harden fall, the Russell Westbrook fallout with the ownership there. Not to mention the whole Kevin Moore, Kevin Porter Jr. situation earlier in the season, Right. The Rockets don't have the greatest off the field, off the court history. And after Paolo Benchero already had a run in with the law this season, I don't know if that's necessarily the greatest off the court fit, but good analysis on the number, number one. <laughs> All right, Sam, let's get to number four. 
Number four, I have Jalen Ivey, shooting guard from Purdue, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Get a perfect compliment to Shai Gilgis Alexander. Ivey, I think it's a, some one of the best athletes in the draft. He's, I think, right now the best guard in this draft. Averaging for 16 three points, five, five rebounds, three assists. 0.5 blocks and 1.3 steals. He's a very ball-dominant guard. He does incredible things with the ball in his hands. Very dominant. He can, he can pass, he can shoot, he can drive. He's so quick. He is one of the most, I think he's the most explosive player in the draft. His first deck is unstoppable. Once he gets by you, there is no stopping him in the half court and in transition. <laughs> it's crazy. He's what, I think he's first in the nation right now in transition points, which is insane. And he does a lot of little things well. He's also, really, he's a great catch and shoot threat, which is something you wouldn't expect from such a ball dominant guard. So that level to his game will definitely translate well into the NBA. The concern is, I want him to improve on being able to create for himself more. But I don't think we need to do that more if he's paired with a guy like Shea Gilgis-Alexander, a blue door. And the Thunder, with this take, they have, they were the worst, they're right now the worst statistic off of the NBA, sitting in 30th. And thinking about this potential backcourt, Lou Dort, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, that is a scary backcourt going forward. All right, Sam, let's get to your fifth pick for the Indiana Pacers. Who do you have them taking? With the fifth pick of the NBA, you have the Indiana Pacers next. Benedict Matherin, shooting guard from Arizona. <laughs> Benedict Matherin does a lot of the small things well. He's a six, he's already a six, seven, 210 pounds. And one, he's one of the most efficient scorers in the country. But one thing that I love about him the most is offensive rebounding, which is something the Pacers move. They love having offensive rebounding. And they're most likely going to lose Miles Turner. Um, Harrison Bird could be on the move. But having a guard that can rebound the way that he does is so rare to find. He's one of the most explosive athletes. He moves off the ball so well. He'll compliment the guy like Malcolm Brogdon very well. He's very ball dominant. That's a January 7th. Of that, he's shooting 100% off offensive rebounds and push that. That's a really good stat. I'm a huge fan of Ed Matherin. He's currently averaging 18 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, 0.3 blocks, and 0.9 field. Alright, uh, number 6 the Pelicans, you have Johnny Davis, the guard from Wisconsin. Uh, why is he, why is he a fit here? Stats right now in the season, 21.7 points, 7 half rebounds, 2.66.7 blocks, and 1.4 steals a game. Why do you think he's a fit for this team? So Johnny Davis, I think in these next few weeks, can close the gap with Jaden Ivey. He is the best guard in the country. He came out of nowhere. What I think where he fits in into this New Orleans team is versatility and scoring. He can score from anywhere on the court. He's very good in the pick and roll offense. Could be a great pick and roll partner with Jonas Valanciunas. That could be a very good duo to watch. And Zai Williamson stays around. I think Johnny, him and Johnny Davis have a, have a very good connection. That has yet to be seen. What I love the most about Johnny Davis is the alpha mentality. He's had some I love that. He had 38 points against Purdue when they were number one in the nation. That was his breakout game. And that game, Johnny Davis, I believe, started out 0 for 4. And then ended up just kept shooting. The fact that he chooses to keep shooting, doesn't give up on himself, that is rare confidence and maturity to see from a player. And the one thing that I am concerned about, because he is the best 
think he has potential to be a team really for is is he has sort of tunnel vision sometimes. Because he lets play on his team, he tries to do so much. He'll make impulsive decisions. So that is my one concern. He's also three point consistency. He's also right now fifth leading scorer in the country. I think over the against he reached with some tough games in the big ten he can close that gap with Jane Ivy, maybe even overtake him and move up my board. All right, Sam, at number seven to the San Antonio Spurs, by the way, the first time in 25 years since 1997 when they took Tim Duncan that they are picking in the top ten. You have Keegan Murray, the power forward of Iowa. His stats on the season being 23.9 points, 8.1 rebounds, 1.1 assists, 2.1 blocks, and 1.5 steals. Why do you think this specific big man is the right fit for the Spurs? Keegan Murray is right now in the top four in the nation. He is leading all all players in scoring, and the fact that they get him at seven is an absolute steal, just because this draft is very scoring-heavy. It's very a lot of versatile guys who can score, especially at the top eight or nine guys. So Giga Murray fits that mold well. He's a big man that can also score, but the Spurs need rebounding. They were good in a lot of defensive categories this season. Rebounding, they're 26 in. And they need to fix that up. And with Greg Popovich likely on his way out, I'm curious to see who the Spurs will bring in and how that will switch up their mentality, their style, their philosophy. I don't know if they'll go from that. But Keegan Murray can score from anywhere on the court, three from two, from, from in front of the basket. He defends, and also his defensive upside is incredible. Two blocks, 1.5 steals in the season. He can really defend all five positions. He is a physical freak. I think he would be a great fit for this first team that has a bunch of young talent that is being molded. All right, Sam. Now, our favorite prospect likely in this class, right, just because of the localness to him, you got the Sacramento Kings at eighth overall taking A.J. Griffin, the forward of Duke. Stepanak, powerhouse and alum. Seven-foot wingspan. Obviously, he's played great. His minutes are more quality over quantity due to the injuries he's had over these past couple of years, both in high school and now. Into Duke, currently averaging eight points, three rebounds, one assist, 0.6 blocks, and 0.4 steals in the season. Why exactly do you think he's a good fit alongside Darren Fox, Tyrese Halliburton on this Kings team? He is a top five upside. When he is healthy, he is Paolo Mancero's partner in crime. Is that so jump value? Because of his injuries, right now it's 7.9 points, 3 rebounds, 1 assist, 0. 0. 0.6 blocks, and 0. 0.4 steals. Adrian Griffin has the best shot-making ability in anyone in this draft. He's shooting 57% from shots off the dribble. His last 7 games, which he's averaged average over 20 minutes a game, shooting 50% on three over 4 points a game. He is the most polished shooter in the draft, and I... About a lot of players, but Adrian Griffin, hands down, has potential to be the best scorer in the draft. He is just an absolute freak, and his ability to make, make shots on the dribble is been rare to find out of anyone in this draft class. I need to see more from him. For the Sacramento Kings team, you see if Aaron Fox gets moved, but him and Tyree Halliburton, nonetheless, to go with Harrison Martin, to have a really ball dominant guard that you know can get you a bucket whenever you need, that is very rare to find. Like, Adrian Griffin would be the guy that you want the ball win with five seconds going again because you know he can make the big shot. You know, I think whoever gets him is going to be very lucky because of his injuries. He's not going to be that top one, top three pick that he was projected to be coming out of high school, right? We've seen. I know Bleacher Report's put out at least a handful of these twenty four seven sports where he was consistently that high. 
talent's there. You just got to get him healthy. Hope your training staff, hope your coaching staff can make the most out of that situation. All right, Sam, number nine to the Atlanta Hawks, who we've talked about how much they've underperformed this year. You got Kendall Brown out of Baylor. Okay. Kendall Brown is the best pure athlete in this draft. He is 6'8", 208, 10.4 rebounds, 1.9 assists, 0.3 blocks, 1.1 steals. The Hawks are second in the NBA in scoring, in offensive rating. What is their flaw? They are currently 28th in defense. I'm sorry. I wanted to switch things up, maybe get them Johnny Davis, something like that, or maybe Patrick Baldwin, but Kendall Brown is a physical specimen that can get you some blocks, some clamps on the defensive end of the floor. He's an 88 defensive rating, meaning per 100 possessions, 88 points, which is very good. In his defensive, he guard one through five. He's, again, an athletic specimen, and they lost Cam Reddish. Sean Collins may be on his way out. They're going to need some depth at that wing position, especially to defend. And Kendall, Kendall Brown, on a Baylor's Bear team that is known to fog up, that plays a lot of reminds you a lot of Davion Mitchell. His stats don't jump down you, but he gets the job done. I love I love this pick for the Atlanta Hawks. I think it's the perfect thing to fit in their team. I think Nate McMillan is very happy with this with him. I think Nate McMillan is still coaching there next season. Uh, and now for we're going to do ten picks here. So Sam's last pick for the Portland Trail Blazers was Jalen Duran, the center of Memphis, six foot eleven, but with a seven foot five and a quarter inch wingspan, a lot larger than most people's wingspans of that size. Uh, Obviously, the Blazers are set to lose Yusuf Nurkic in the offseason, but Sam, how else do you think he fits in with this team? Jalen Duran is perfect. He's a physical specimen. What did you said? A seven-five wingspan? He blocks everything in sight. Averaging 2.6 blocks on the season along with 10.6 rebounds, 17.3 rebounds, 10.6 points, one assist, and 0.1 steals. Jalen Duran has the potential to be like a Dwight Howard double-double wing. Machine in the NBA. He's very old school big. He can bang inside with the rest of me. Very efficient down low. He's a really good perimeter defender. And Nurkic is flaw. Like, Nurkic was very good on the offensive side of the ball for Portland, but he couldn't defend his side. I think Durant is honestly an upgrade over Nurkic. And if he's coached right, he could be a very efficient old school big. That is very much rare to find in this NBA. He reminds me a lot of his upside reminds me of Bob Dwight Howard. I'm going to get a lot of hugs for this, but I love this pick for the Blazers as Nurkic is on his way out, and I think that's the perfect way to replace him. Yep. All right, I think that sums it up, right? We'll be doing plenty of mock drafts as the NCAA season goes along, as the NBA season moves forward. Likely at least one a month, maybe two a month, depending on how we feel and what else we have to cover. But now, on to our favorite section. It is time, oh, Sam. Oh, oh, All right. Sam, what is your hawk of the day today? Big Ben. I get Randall hasn't been producing at the same point. But Randall became the third big class season to grab his 27 stations six. He won the top 10 players in the NBA. We all knew that wasn't going to last. So stop acting like it. And... No, New York is like a very compartment to play in. He's got people. And Randall with the whole phone sound situation, he probably had an emotional break. We all do. Bobby Baez, where are you at? We are average as human like the rest of us. I get it. You want results. You are paying good money. I am not denying that. But if you want results, 
unemployment is not going to help. I am just, as an instant, I'm embarrassed by that. that. Like, you're, obviously, like, you want your players to produce, but expect them to like you, expect them to want to produce after those reactions, shame on you. You know, Sam, right, New York fans are always rowdy. We've been through basically every franchise, except the boring ones that, you know, don't have rowdy fans, but they're not really good. Uh, my hop of the day is something a bit more practical, right? Guys, if you're in college, don't schedule 8.30 a.m. classes, even if you're a morning person. Never. Because I just had my cancel today. It was not fun. Don't do that to yourself, right? Go watch the games. Go to the sporting events. Go to every other event. Do the stuff late. Wake up a bit later. Even if you wake up early, get a workout and get your work done in the morning. Don't wait up at night to do it. Yeah, right, like, again, I, would you rather be the ones having to wake up at 7 every morning or at 8 o'clock and go into bed at 12 or 1 opposed to 2 or 3 because yeah. you got a morning class, but then you can't go to the game necessarily because you have work to do. So, life lesson, even though I'm a morning person, I should end up taking a 30 classes a semester. Uh... Well, that sums up all we had to talk about today. Hope you enjoyed our NBA coverage, our NCAA coverage, and our first ever mock draft, which will be coming back for the NBA. We will see you on Friday next, where we will have our next face-off Friday, doing our NHL midseason review, as well as our preview of the divisional round matchups in the NFL. I am Mitch Wolf. I am Zen Kizis, and we will see you next time on The Highlands Off. <laughs>